Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us today again on the program. And uh, let me just thank you for your consistency and following us through this series. We are coming to a, a, a portion of uh, the book of Revelation I'm very excited about. It's very positive. We are switching from the catastrophes and judgments that fell upon apostate Israel. And many people have asked us, okay, if all of that stuff is fulfilled, then what do we have to look forward to? And uh, we're going to get into some of that over the next several weeks as we deal with Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Uh, let me first say to you, if you've missed some of our programs, uh, you can go back to our YouTube page, and everything we have aired to date is archived there uh, for your enjoyment, for your convenience. Also, iTunes has the audio portions of this that you can download, and uh, you can get our podcasts sent straight to your smart device. Uh, let me encourage you uh, to, you know, we have really appreciated, first of all, the cards, letters, and the thank yous. And those of you who have even sent financially, as you know, we're probably breaking new ground, and we may even be bringing to uh, television maybe an audience that wasn't normally watching Christian television. We thank you for that. All of the first-time viewers and the people that just found our ministry through television, we're deeply grateful for your cards, your letters, your emails to us, and uh, uh, we appreciate it. And we, we, we ask you that if you believe in what we're doing, to get behind what we're doing, become part of a great, I believe, grace gospel kingdom revolution. And it takes your help to do that. We're going to get in the Word today, though. Uh, and we want to just say, first of all, to you, uh, it, 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 this particular season that we are, are entering is the Easter season, the Good Friday and the Easter. And, you know, everything we preach pretty much has to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that's what makes so consistent what we're teaching from the book of Revelation. It's interesting to me that when John begins this book of Revelation, the very first several chapters he repeatedly says over and over to his audience, come and see. Or not, not just he repeats to his audience, but the Spirit says to him, come and see, come and see, come and see. We get to the latter part of the book of Revelation, and they begin to respond by saying, And I saw, and I saw, and I saw. It is the hope and prayer of this ministry that after all of the many weeks, I think we've aired a hundred and something programs on the book of Revelation, that not only have you been able to come and see some things, but you are responding in this as we get to the end of it by saying, And I saw, and I saw because we pray that a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him is your portion. As we get into Revelation, the 21st chapter, uh, what you're going to find is that it says this, and I'm just going to read the first part because we're only going to get through maybe verse 1 or 2 or first couple verses at least uh, in the first couple settings. It says in Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw heaven and earth new created. Gone the first heaven, gone the earth, gone the sea, and I, and I saw holy Jerusalem, new created, descending resplendent out of heaven as ready for God, as a bride for her husband. I heard a voice thunder from the throne, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making His home with men and women. They're His people, He's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good, tears gone, crying gone pain gone, all the, for, all the first order of things gone. The enthroned one said, look, I'm making everything new. Write it all down, each word dependable 
and accurate. And I read that to you from the Message Bible. And uh, what it declares is it's telling you to come and see. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Just a few days ago, I was in a conference teaching. And especially, you know, I've come from uh, the, the book of Romans, especially where I was talking about where the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, he said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And he begins to talk about the earnest expectation of the creature groans and travails in pain to give birth even until now. And not only creation itself, but we ourselves groan, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. They were, creation was groaning and waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I can't stress this enough when I teach it, but context is everything. Audience relevance is everything. And while the scriptures were written for us, we need to remember that they were not necessarily written to us. So when we put the backdrop of what Paul the Apostle was sharing in the 8th chapter of Romans, he's talking about a suffering and uh, that's not worth to be compared. And you know, uh, I came up through a, uh, an era, especially in the 80s, when the emphasis was greatly on the sufferings. And the more you suffer, the more of a son you were going to become. I'll never forget, I had a friend one time who said to me, uh, Lynn, I don't believe I'm part of the sons of God. I said, well, why don't you believe you're part of the sons? Because this man to me was a, you know, just a powerful man of God. He said, because I'm not suffering. And I said, well, uh, you know, and, and so he was deeply concerned because he wasn't suffering. And so he said, I was concerned. I was in prayer. He said, I was walking my dog one day. And he said, concerned that I wasn't part of the elect. I wasn't part of the sons of God because I wasn't suffering. Because there was a great uh, emphasis at that time that your suffering is what produces sonship rather than the suffering of Christ. And so he said, I was really concerned that my suffering, uh, you know, wasn't enough to produce sonship in my life. And he said, about that time, thunder pealed and a lightning clap and or lightning, lightning pierced the sky and thunder clapped. He said, uh, I was walking my dog and the Great Dane took off and it threw me down over the side of the curb, dislocated my shoulder, uh, tore my rotator cuff. And he said, I laid there on the ground and said, thank you, Lord, that I'm part of the elect of the sons of God. Now, see, if he were alive today, he would probably tell you that's just dumb right there. That's the dumb in kingdom. <laughs> And, uh, uh, but we were made to think that, and that was our thinking. But see, what we need to understand is the setting of this, uh, the timing of this, here's the Apostle Paul who is preaching a gospel, Romans 6 and 7 are the prelude to this, where he is declaring and preaching very strongly uh, freedom from the law and being gripped by grace and learning how to be governed by the Holy Spirit, learn how to be led by the Spirit, because in Romans 8, those that are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. And so it's not how much you suffer, but it's how you're led by the Spirit and what governs you now. And so really the whole contrast even with that is what used to govern you under an old covenant paradigm is that you were a servant and a slave, but in the new covenant we're sons, sons of God. See, that's one of the main things Jesus introduced is the father aspect of the gospel. Uh, My God and your God, my father and your father. He almost got stoned to death for declaring that God was his father, but uh, his intent was to bring many sons into glory. But the earmark of sons of God is not how much you suffer, but how you're led and governed by the Spirit. Because in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. Because when they came out of Egypt 50 days after the blood was shed, uh, they, they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, 
and at the foot of Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. In the new covenant, 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God is slain. Uh, they're in an upper room, and God gives them the Spirit. So folks who say, you guys that are preaching grace uh, are preaching, uh, you know, uh, uh, giving people a license to sin, I say to them, if the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost can't make you stop sinning, then all the preaching or rules and behavior modification programs that we've taught will never help you. But the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the uh, uh, law was to the old covenant. And so uh, the Holy Spirit teaches you. He governs you. But when the Apostle Paul was talking here, he'd been beaten, let down over walls and baskets, in prison, in perils among false brethren, in perils among true brethren. Uh, he, he had seen, uh, been shipwrecked, snake bit. The list goes on and on. And he did it because he knew that if he could hold forth the word of this grace and this gospel of Jesus Christ, of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And then this Easter season, you know, we want to emphasize that. It, you know, the, the gospel is central around the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, because even as we read Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, as He gets on down through there, He says, Behold, I make all things new. And so what this is giving birth to, it's giving birth to a brand new creation. And when he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed, uh, because the creature itself will be brought into the same glorious liberty. See, that to most people is an, a riddle or an enigma. But the glorious liberty that he was talking about was the liberty to no longer walk in the bondage of not just worldly bondage, but religious bondage. If you remember back when I taught Revelation, the 11th chapter in verse 8, it says, Our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Well, you, you, if you go back and look at that, you'll remember that I taught in that place that our Lord was not crucified physically, literally in Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit would make a direct connection to Egypt because it was the place that spoke of their slavery and their bondage, and now the Spirit is connecting that to the whole idea of they are leaving a spiritual bondage of religion that's connected to Judaism, to the old Jerusalem, because we're going to see an old Jerusalem has passed in Revelation 21, a new Jerusalem has come on the scene. Everything is becoming new. God is giving birth to something. And I thought about, as I thought about, it said the whole creation groans and travails in pain even till now because they'll be brought into the glorious liberty. Paul and these apostles were living in one of the most troublesome times when there was in fact birth pains upon an entire creation that was about to be birthed into a new creation. An old creation is fading. I think it is very interesting, is not just interesting, but profound, that as you read the book of Revelation, especially when we dealt with the trumpets and the vials and the pouring out of the judgments, it would almost be as if you would, it would be creation in reverse or the destruction or decreation. So it is the removing of an old creation and the giving birth of a new creation. And so what these men and women uh, were in travail for is that they were in travail to give birth to a new covenant. And even when you see uh, Romans 8 says, for uh, waiting for the adoption, is the Greek word, I believe, weathesia, which means the placing is full-grown sons, to with the redemption of our bodies. Uh, if you go over into the book of Galatians chapter 4, it says, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world, touch not, taste not, handle not. But now we have been placed 
Uh, the heir, as long as he is a son, differs nothing from a servant, though he's Lord of all, but is under governors and tutors until the time appointed unto the Father. But he goes on to say that, that we are no longer under those governors and tutors because we are no longer servants, but we are sons right now, according to Galatians 4. I think it is also interesting that when you see, uh, you know, Jesus giving again many of the prophecies from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, he said, you're going to hear about wars. You're going to hear about rumors of war, see that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. And he begins to list all this. I'm going to deliver you up to be killed. And he lists a whole bunch of stuff to them. And then he says, uh, all these things, King James says it like this, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Every other translation said all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains of what? The birth pains of giving birth to a new creation. You also read in the writings uh, to Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he said, when, you, uh, when they say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction as of a woman in travail. And, uh, 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 you know, when you set that in the context of Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica, uh, you know, I can remember when I was growing up in, uh, you know, back in the uh, early 70s in the... Uh, you know, the bell-bottom pants and the uh, flowered shirts with the pointy collars and the platform shoes and the jackets and the, and the VW bands with peace signs all over them. And I'll never forget uh, one of the first uh, times I ever heard somebody preach that scripture out of context was somebody drove in in a VW van with a peace symbol on it. And boy, to them, that was just the sign that the end had come again. And, uh, you know, and the, the guys said, well, when you see they crying, peace, peace, then comes sudden destruction. Well, that was clear back in the 70s. You know, when you take eschatology out of the context of how it really was and the time slot and the people it was written to, you will come up with all kinds of fanciful ideas that will manipulate, scare people, and then it, uh, the dates come and go, nothing happens. What I'm trying to tell you is that the birth pains that sudden destruction like a woman in travail was the birth pains of the passing of this old covenant era and old covenant Judaism and apostate Israel was passing off the scene and God was giving birth. So there was a great and terrible day of the Lord on them because to those that, was, that, that, that system was fading, it was terrible. But to those who are believing for uh, the birthing of this new covenant where we were no longer under circumcision, and the governing of the old covenant that we had come to a brand new day, it was exciting and something was absolutely being birthed. I believe the similarities, you can go back in the archives and listen to this as well in Revelation 12, and I saw a woman, uh, a great a sign in heaven, a woman in travail to give birth to a man child. I believe that's the same travail. And then there's a place, I believe it is, let me see if I've got it in my notes, but um, um, it talks about that there was... Uh, um, that in the Amplified Bible, I'll just quote it for you because I don't need to go back and actually look for it. But it talks about in the Amplified Bible when the disciples were asking Jesus, uh, grant that one set in the, in the kingdom, grant that one of, your, uh, of us get to set on your right hand, one on the left. And of course, Jesus comes and says, listen, if you're going to be the greatest, you need to be the servant of all. So let me just say this because I had somebody refute something that I said the other day and say, you're talking about we're sons, but bless God, we're not servants, we're, or we're not sons, we're servants. Let me just tell you this, we're not servants or slaves, we're sons, but we're, not, we're sons that serve and not slaves trying to become sons. That's the difference. And so I believe real sons of God will serve creation and they'll serve, you know, I think even in leadership, we are, are beginning to shift how 
we do ministry in the new covenant. It's not a dominating, uh, overpowering, uh, overbearing authority that tries to manipulate and, and rule and govern God's people, but it's we, we, we serve them. And as we serve them, they respond to our leadership because if they know we care about them, they'll care for us as well. But what I'm after is that this text then says, uh, Jesus looks at him, he said, for those of you who follow me in the regeneration, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's not something out in the future. That's something that occurred uh, in the ending of this old covenant and the beginning of this regeneration. Or the Amplified Bible says that those of you who follow me, listen to this, those of you who follow me, in the messianic rebirth of the world will settle on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. I submit to you that with the ending of that law system, because of the whole death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, an old creation was passing off of the scene, and the tomb which was a tomb had now become a womb, and out of the womb of death was a brand new creation that those who follow Him in this messianic rebirth of the world and His disciples literally, I believe, were part of that ruling and reigning that we are still involved in right now. But I submit to you that there was a messianic rebirth of the world. Let me say this because I said this also last week at a conference and helped a lot of people. Because, I, there, there, you know, I, to me, truth, if it's fragmented, can become very dangerous. So people could take what I just said and say, well, there's a messianic rebirth of the world. All the world has been born again. And I have heard people say things like that. And so in one sense, there has been a messianic rebirth of the world. But uh, then they'll make the argument, well, that the Scripture that talks about, there's uh, only one place in the Scripture where it talks about being born again, and that was Nicodemus when he came to Jesus, asked him what he must do to see the kingdom. And Jesus said, listen, Nick, the uh, only thing you got to do is be born again. And I've heard people say, well, there was a uh, rebirth of the world at that point, and all the world was rebirthed. But you see, that's not the only place the word born again is used. It's used later in the Scripture when he says, being born again by the incorruptible Word of God. So the seed of the Word has to come. That's why we preach the gospel, is so that you can receive the seed of the Word of God, and that there's a new birth that comes, that you follow Him. You see, Jesus became the last Adam, not in His death, but He became the last Adam in His resurrection. For the first Adam was made a living soul, and the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. And that was in the context of 1 Corinthians 15. So there are different, people are different stages of the experience of the work, person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we, we can't bypass the death in order to get to the life. And see, even this, as we celebrate this Easter season, what we need to understand is that Jesus didn't just die for you, He died as you. His death was your death. His death was God's method of getting rid of who you were in Adam. And, and His death was uh, the, the, the vehicle which God chose to get rid of an entire old creation. And when he, we follow Him in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that's why we identify with Him in His death. That's why we identify with Him through water baptism and are buried with Him in baptism. So that when we come up out of the water, we're raised into the newness of life so that we can follow Him in His resurrection. So, uh, you, know, it, it, there are, you know, there's a whole lot of, of things that could be said concerning that, but that, there, there is a corporate, if you will, there was a corporate messianic rebirth of the world. We stand, regardless if you understand theology, the whole creation itself has been brought into a glorious liberty. When you think about this, 
And you think about, you know, uh, this liberty. You know, in other words, I, there are very few things that I think are worth dying for. And one of them is freedom. And so I think what Paul and these apostles saw is if we can hold forth the word of this truth, it may cost us our lives. And I said recently, man, I'm not preaching anymore for popularity. If I was, I certainly wouldn't be preaching some of the stuff I'm preaching on television right now. I'm not preaching for popularity. I'm preaching for posterity. I'm preaching for the future of our children because if we don't get a revelation that God wants to do something in this earth rather than evacuate it and turn it over to the devil and his crowd, if we don't get a grip on the fact that God's raising up some sons with authority to exercise the dominion and authority of the kingdom, uh, just like he declared it in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 1, he did not put the world to come in subjection to angels because in chapter 1 of Hebrews, uh, angels are servants. But he put the world to come in subjection to a son. And then he comes on to quote Psalm 8 and says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you would visit him? You gave him dominion. You made him, uh, you gave him authority over the works of your hands. You turned it over to a son. And then in that latter part, of chapter 2, he says that, that, uh, that not only did he have one son, but he desired to bring many sons into glory. And I believe that's one of the passions that I have in preaching this new creation is that there's some sons of God that are on the planet right now that I believe the, the moment we realize what we're here for and the dominion aspect and the authority that it carries, we're going to continue the ministry of freedom and continue the administration of life instead of the administration of death. And we are going to continue to set creation free because although these things were accomplished and finished in the finished work of Jesus Christ and finished in A.D. 70 with the conclusion of an old covenant and a giving birth to a new covenant, is that there is still an ongoing reality of sons that are still in the earth who are in the earth to exercise dominion and authority you know, I, I've said it like this. Somebody said, "Why, you know, uh, eschatology is such a divisive subject. Why teach it at all? And I think one of the things is we've hit our head in the sand so long that we've got people who are, you know, in other words, let me say it like this. If you think you're going to abandon a sinking ship, or if you think a ship is sinking, you're certainly not going to polish the brass on it. But if you realize that this, this ship is not sinking, at some point you're going to have to polish the brass. And I believe that's how we've thought with the earth, and I think that's how we've taught with theology. We've been waiting on evacuation rather than occupation and occupy. Uh, and what we've done is we've, it's like living in a house where you're not fixing the roof, and then all of a sudden you've been in this house for 70 years. This house has fallen down around you because you didn't maintain and do the things that you needed or, or should have been doing because, hey, you're here for the long haul. I think when we begin to grasp this as the people of God, we'll become more faithful in our stewardship to how we use the resources of this planet. We'll become stewards in how we view who's in political office, how we conduct our affairs in life, uh, what we do for the long haul. Are we here uh, to make this planet better? Are we the salt and the light in the earth? And I believe that was the travail that was Paul was talking about here and the new creation was coming on the scene, and it was coming on the scene hugely. And he went on to say that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He goes on to say uh, in the book of Isaiah, when Zion travails, she brings forth. And so I believe that there was a birthing and a 
a travail that produced a glorious liberty that, you know, even outside, of, even with the most legalistic church that you might could find right now on the planet, we are still, when you think about how far, uh, you know, how much more liberty we have than they had under an old covenant paradigm, uh, we, we stand in a place, even in the most legalistic church, where we're way more free than they were back under there. I mean, I, could, I was thinking the other day about Antiochus Epiphanes back in the um, transition before Jesus came on the uh, scene, who had a man I think was by the name of Justin the Martyr, and he put him on the stretching wheel to torture him. And he tortured him to the point of death, and the man resisted, did not receive deliverance because he refused, and Antiochus Epiphanes said to him, if you'll simply eat a piece of pork, I'll turn you loose. Man, you think about this guy gave his life rather than violate the law of Moses and eat a piece of pork. And I know it may sound funny, but here we are today, in this day at least, probably most of you listen to me just had breakfast, you had sausage, pork, or bacon. You've got to realize, hey, under the law, it was illegal to even touch a pigskin. Uh, there were rituals of circumcision that had to be. I, I tell you, you know, I get amazed that people want to fight with us over, uh, is the law of Moses still in effect? Do we must keep the law of Moses and even the Ten Commandments? Because Paul called it the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. He called it the government of death chiseled on stone. And I look at people that want to argue and say, well, just quote me the Ten Commandments. Amazingly enough, people want to fight you for it. Can't even quote the Big Ten. Now, I'm not saying it's all right to live any way you want to. I'm saying the Holy Spirit is the governor now. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes you. And so what we're dealing with as we begin to transition into this new covenant is since that old one is gone, what do you see now? Well, I see a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to deal with that in our next seg segment. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a new tabernacle. I saw a new bride. And I saw a new city. And every one of those icons are not talking about a physical, literal place. It's talking about a people. God has moved into a new heaven and a new earth. God's moved into a new tabernacle. God has married the bride, the Lamb's wife. Hallelujah. And God has caused a new city to be birthed. That's the transition of this great resurrection power that we celebrate on this great Easter uh, weekend. So we're thankful for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and what He gave birth to through His work. You've been gracious. We're about to run out of time. Let me just ask you to graciously take a moment to call that number on the screen. And uh, you can sow a seed via debit card or credit card. You can also write to the address that will come up on the screen, uh, writing your checks to Lynn House Ministries. We do need your help to pay for the airtime. If you're being blessed by our ministry, uh, please get behind it, sow into it, and we will deeply appreciate it as the gospel is taken around the world. Thank you for being a partner with that. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.